everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson. Normally, I do the show with my partner, Joe Favorito, but Joe is traveling this week, so I will be solo. But I'm not deterred, because I'm going to be doing this with a uh, an industry friend, uh, a guy that's been around our world of sports for close to 20 years, I believe, uh, someone I've known since the late 90s and someone who has a really interesting background in the business. His name is Peter Dopkin, and some of you may know Peter from his stints at the U.S. Tennis Association in White Plains. Some of you may know him from RepuCom, the measurement company. Someone, maybe some of you even know him for his new work as an entrepreneur, which we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Peter. Thanks, Tom. It is great to see you. It's good to be here. It's good to be back in New York. Yeah, and welcome to New York. I should point out, Peter is a longtime New York uh, executive who relocated to Colorado a couple years ago. We'll hear that when he tells his story, and he happens to be visiting New York this week, so welcome. We didn't expect to have a hot, muggy day on May, whatever, May 2nd. No, it's good. <laughs> I'm not used to the humidity, so I've, right. got, and I, and I, I've got a good sheen. I'm right, and I, and I heard the story a couple minutes ago that Peter got off at the number two exit, new two train exit at uh, 116th and ended up not realizing he was on the other side of Morningside Park. It's true. The, the steepest spot in Manhattan and had to climb up that hill. That's good. Well, I've been training. I live at 7,000 feet now, right. so I'm able to Well, that's true. Tackle, hopefully you have tackle your breath stairs. so you can talk. We'll see. Um, okay, so um, I really want to spend time talking about the new business, which we will name later. Sure. Because it's really interesting at the intersection of sports media, athlete-generated content, integrated sponsorship, really, really good stuff. Um, I'm really intrigued by it, so I'm looking forward to getting into that. But let's hear your story. I know uh, you have a diversified background, particularly at the beginning, Sure. and it's really interesting how you got into the business. So tell us uh, how that all worked out. Yeah, no, I'm originally from Baltimore, so as the guests tend to provide their allegiances, I, I was an Oriole, originally a Colt, then a Raven fan, and Hopkins lacrosse, and ultimately went to New York, played lacrosse in college at CW Post, and then went on there after a few years, decided that I needed to find some other things to do, and started working for things like the the paper, actually covering sports. Mm-hmm. So realizing that I wasn't going to be a professional lacrosse player by any stretch, especially in the mid-90s, I decided that I, I needed to find some other things, and, and that's really when I got into the sort of love of media and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, I graduated, and like most people who graduated and then went to Manhattan, I, I did nothing that had to do with sports. Right. And I got a job that ultimately paid very, very little and didn't particularly care for it. And then I got another job selling uh, ads from Yellow Book, which was the Yellow Pages that wow. was on Island, and they were creating their first book in Manhattan, and I was on the first team really? of salespeople okay. in the late 90s, sweating profusely. The on... physical book, or were they doing... No, 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 no. This yeah, is okay. pre-internet. This is... It, and not to well, it wasn't dating, pre-internet. I mean, it was late 90s. Okay. But it was pre-people actually going on to the Okay, internet. okay. And uh, it wasn't a tool at that point. Yeah, Yell- okay, the yellow pages still mattered, sadly. And uh, then I went and got my master's after that in psychology, which is I really love the, the social sciences and I wanted to be a sports psychologist. And that's sort of what led me to go back to school at the New School for Social Research here in, in New mm-hmm. York and where I counseled, you know, dual diagnosis patients, people with mental illness and uh, substance abuse in the Bowery, sort of pre and post 9-11. And, and really is where I sort of honed my 
sort of ability to look at the big picture, understand strategy when looking at consumers and not consumers, but how do consumers relate to an individual? And mm-hmm. everybody's got their own paths. Mm-hmm. And from there, it was a pretty intense time and sort of moved to Colorado the first time on a whim. And I just left New York and really had no job and just moved out there in search of a On a whim, there must have been an impetus. There was The impetus was I knew that I wasn't looking to be in New York anymore. Okay. And that ultimately, being originally from Baltimore, that you know, could go back to Baltimore. D.C. was always a place where I had lots of friends, but I was at that point 27 and realized that it wasn't going to be a big deal for me to sort of pick up and right. find something new. Okay. And uh, ended up in Colorado and, you know, met my uh, now wife. So that worked out pretty well for me and uh, it was a good move. But also was where I started to get back into sports mm-hmm. and that place really on the media side, working for a magazine that was a Colorado nightlife magazine and writing uh, writing stories on athletes. So okay. ranging from Trevor Price to Carmelo Anthony to you know, That's right. Broncos. That's right, Nugget and, at the time. Yeah, you know, Earl Boykins and other right. Nuggets and you know Pablo, Pablo Mastorani from the Colorado Rapids and, and really looking at the Colorado sports scene. But that's where I also got into, you know, meet guys like Jeremy Bloom, who, if you remember, was at the University of Colorado, mm-hmm. drafted by the Eagles, and mm-hmm. ultimately the NCAA sort of revoked his eligibility because he was getting paid to be a skier. Right. So that was really where it's sort of the start of looking at what I do today sort of started as what's the business of sort of skiing and alternative sports. Okay. So that was for a few years in Colorado, and then I moved uh, with my I moved out to California and got a job. Uh, with Miller Publishing, who published Spin and Vibe right, and right. Tennis Magazine. That's right. Working for a, a guy named Norb Garrett, who's the president of Adventure Sports Network, who was just bought by American Media, and really was the online editor for Tennis.com. And it was me and one other guy who started within a week, and we rebuilt that site and traveled the world covering tennis and building out that, that platform. And in all respect to the, to the people who cover tennis, because the sun never sleeps on tennis it is a tournaments all over the world and every day and it sort of was an education in in the painstaking efforts it is to make a website palatable and engaged day in and day out time and time again across time right so i think we're getting to the part where my name gets into your story this is is where a fateful phone call it was a fateful phone call and uh i'd been at tennis and and I got a call and didn't love L.A. And I got a call saying, hey, this guy, Tom. And he's like, looking to fill this job. It's at the USTA. Here's what it is. This is what we're talking about. Let me know if you know anybody. So I said, okay, sounds good. Tom gave me his number. And I hung up the phone. And 20 minutes later, I called Tom back and said, I think I'm interested. And, you know, we had... The initial conversations, um, so at this point it would have been the summer of 2006. Wow, that's and, when it was. Yeah. And um, from there, I was trying to get in touch with uh, and set up a, a call with uh, Jeff Volk, right. who was running digital there at the time, and, and sort of no, understanding tennis as, as I did, it was probably best to wait until after the U.S. Open. Right, right. Because I didn't exactly. want to be talking to anybody and having them not listening to what was going on. So Jeff and I, you know, had that conversation. I, in the sort of world of fate, had a friend from Westchester, uh, a friend from New York who was getting married in Westchester, and we were all of the guests were staying at the Renaissance on Red Oak Lane. 
So I was like, oh. The one right next to the building. Right next to the building. That's too funny. I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah, so I said to Jeff, I said, well, I'm going to be in New York. Right, right. <laughs> would be great to get together. I'm, I have a wedding in New York. I'm staying at the West at the Renaissance. I'm right <laughs> up, like, playing dumb. Like, I don't know that he's next door. And he's like, I can see it from my window. <laughs> right. He's like, why don't you come in? I said, fantastic. And then, you know, I think realizing that I didn't want to be in, in New York anymore, I had also set up an interview with, with Digitas at the time. Yeah. So. Went from Digitas. You mean you Thursday. didn't want to be in LA anymore? Yeah, excuse yeah. me, excuse so me, in LA. You're thinking then, about things in New York. Yeah, so then ultimately went in, walked into the hotel, put on a suit on a Friday afternoon, walked, or Friday morning, excuse me, walked down, met with Jeff, met with a couple other guys, you know, uh, Jason Brown, who's now That's uh, right. pro fighting, and, and Ace Bhattacharya, who's, uh, you know, one of my you know, good friends and advisors, who's now at right. uh, medicalrecords.com. And, um, that was it. So wow. they said, why don't you come back on uh, Tuesday? Yeah. Talk to people, which was the longest interview day. So Pierce O'Neill, Arl- did you meet Arlen? I didn't meet Arlen. I met yeah. with Pierce, Michelle Wilson. That's right. Tandy. Uh, Widmeyer? Uh, Wid, Chris yeah. Widmeyer. I think I met with, Jeff liked to parade you around. So I met with every person in the advanced media group at the time. Yeah. I was there from 8.45 to 4.15. <laughs> oh, yes. So mercifully, okay. mercifully the, the good thing was is I had gotten, you know, the self-promotion moment of the show. So I had gotten a job offer from, from Digitas, so I leveraged that. Oh, nice. Into saying, so here's the deal. You ever told me that. Yeah, no. It's very, very quiet. <laughs> I was just trying to help you on the side, yeah, make it quick. And uh, then got the offer, said, here's what we're looking for. And they said, all right, sounds good. And That's great. November of... Uh, and what was your official back. title again? When I moved back, it would have been, I don't remember what, I, what it was when I moved back. And then because of where my role was, I was sort of sitting on the in-between sort of the business and the content side, right. which is, as I went from content, it was shifting. So I think at some point it was uh, business operations and production. There may have been It's a really funny thought, there. Peter, in terms of the timing, because it just occurred to me yeah. that was before the la- launch of the iPhone. Yeah, 100%. so the notion of smartphone usage wasn't really part of the discussion. Nope. It was in the nascent days of social media, which wasn't really being used by sports properties at yeah. the time, two thousand six ish. So uh, yeah, that's interesting. So what what do you remember from the, that that first phase of your job there in terms of your digital plans? Well, I knew sort of what I needed to to figure out, which was I think it rained maybe a couple days during the open, so I had a lot of. What would you do to promote things if it rained? <laughs> okay. So it was my first foray into being the ultimate four-letter word of the USDA is rain. And mercifully, you know, I think yeah. after five years of rain, they, they put Pretty a roof retractable on. roof. Well, there, Way you know, there's, pretty. There's, yeah. there's a side story of in 2008 when they had the first rain out. And they were debating whether or not they were going to be able to finish on Sunday. I think the only two people in the building that were sort of casually excited for, for rain on that day or rain over the course was was Phil Green and I because we knew that if it rained and they went to Monday we may be able to live stream the final and we knew that we had our our rights we were going to get the rights back on live streaming the next year and when you sort of look at forward to you know what's the value of an asset and how do you price it and how do you sell it there was no benchmark there was Mm -hmm. nothing that we could even go off of so so we were like who knows what we're going to do and Rain, they called it. They said, it's going to be on Monday. And we sort of had this glint and smile. And we realized that now we had to negotiate with CBS to see if we could both 
stream it. We had to get the production done because it wasn't like it was already right. set up and ready to mm-hmm. go. And we had to get somebody to pay for it. So we negotiated the rights, got to production. American Express came on and helped pay for it in 36 hours. Wow. And we ultimately, coming into the next year, we're like, well, here's the benchmark that we had. Unfortunately, it rained in the next four years at Monday Finals. But uh, right. all in all, it was great. I mean, it was it was a, it was a very good sort of education. In, in How many dozens of people watch it the first year? I think a couple hundred thousand. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. No, no. We were surprised. Yeah. We were like, this is great. Because you had obviously limited time to promote it as well. We had limited time to promote yeah. it, but it was one of those ones where, you know, it was a Monday afternoon start time. It was going to be able to do it. You know, being able to watch it, I think was going to be a challenge. People were going to be at work, especially in different time zones around the country. So you could sort of look to how you're promoting it based on, based on geography and where you are. So you know that you could sort of capitalize on the West coast. So you try to make it effective, but yeah, it was. So you lived through an interesting phase of the business at the USTA. Yeah, no, but it was to your point when it was pre, which was part of the, the, the great part about it was when we started, there was a website and a pretty bad mobile site. And over the course of time, you then sort of had to figure out how to get an iPhone app going and an Android app and then an iPad app mm-hmm. and streaming from, you know, all of the courts, right. which we did. How to six deal with Facebook. And all of a sudden you had the social YouTube, integration. Right. You know, we had Facebook and then you'd have Twitter and then you were like, oh, wait, well, how can we utilize Foursquare? Right. And you're trying to fit all these things in. At one point, we had the largest global activation on Foursquare ever where you can really? check in at any tennis court around the around the world to get a badge. <laughs> and you're just trying to find all of these things that you can do in these sort of like limited window right. of two right. weeks of time. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to build your whole exciting year. Right. Not to say that the community tennis night wasn't as exciting, but it's not a global event. Right. Right. And you know, that was that was a big piece of it. Okay. And then what did you do immediately after? So immediately after, consulted for a little while, and then I went to Repucom and was head okay, of right. digital in uh, of North America for, for Repucom. Okay. So they didn't have – that was the first digital employee ever hired uh, in, in the States by them. They had one guy in London. When you say digital employee, meaning someone who's specifically focused on digital metrics? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they had some account people that were sort of okay. scratching the surface and getting into it. And, and that was, was what year? 12? Uh, 14. 14. So, so they had, Febu- February they had the thought of the need to to review digital metrics until 2014? Well, I think that they had started to with a guy in London that it didn't work out very okay. well. So they had hired, they had started to figure out how to find the role. And then it just wasn't, it was somebody that I never, ever spoke to. But there had been somebody in a seat looking at the business mm-hmm. for, for a while. And right. I think they were starting to get from their clients, obviously, a lot of questions as it came down right. to digital. Right. And for me, it was, it was great because I could sit there and start to, figure out ways to create a valuation methodology that could help answer the questions that I wasn't able to answer when negotiating deals Mm -hmm. for the USTA with American Express or IBM or whoever. And you would essentially come up and say, this is, this is what I feel this deal is worth. Are you going to pay for it? The answer is yes. Well, then that's what it's worth. But there was nothing concrete other than some metrics associated to it. Right. So, we would build out, you know, built out a valuation methodology with a, a gentleman who's still there named Max Barnett, who was based in London at the time. Mm-hmm. And and we really looked at what the global market could be in association to the broadcast and how do you how do you create a holistic approach to a sponsorship valuation. Right. So we looked at it from the team standpoint. We looked at it from the brand standpoint. So whether it was working with, you know, the Lakers or the Heat on the NBA side, but also the leagues, but also what was the value of Pepsi's exposure during the halftime of the Super right. Bowl? 
and naming rights as well. So we did, you know, created a valuation methodology for a 30-year projection of what Mercedes-Benz Stadium would, well, now wow. Mercedes-Benz Stadium would be worth when you know they were trying to sell. And you had to factor in all the activity on social too. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So there's a big piece of looking at one, what's happening on web, how is it on mobile, where's the injection of. Uh, of paper ticketing versus mobile ticketing mm. and how is that driving user consumption and when are you looking at you know census data to see what market caps are and all these factors that you're sort of taking into consideration for somebody that's on you know the client side to be like I feel like you've got enough of what this is for right. us to go sell it right and that's really what the, the the fine line becomes and you look at things like social and typically my my philosophy on that is especially in the long term, which is I don't look at social by channel. I look at social by engagement. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at what you're doing five years ago, six years ago, you'd be talking about Facebook more versus Twitter. And now right. it's Instagram or right. Snapchat. And yeah. then over the course of a long projection, is the user base ultimately going to change drastically? Maybe not. Right. So your audience and your fan base is going to be your fan base. Where they're engaging ultimately is probably going to change. Well, also the reality that you're dealing with a third-party platform yeah, where you did not control all 100%. aspects 100%. of of the uh, the metrics, which you could on your own platforms. Yeah, and that and seems to be. I mean, obviously, that continues to be a problem in the business because yeah. you're not looking at apples to apples no. across these different companies, no, and they have a vested interest in keeping that close to the vest. I assume. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of information that is not obtainable, yeah. so you can either spend money to get it. Depends on what. You know, contract you have or what third-party providers you're using on data but we would use you know third-party tools like a you know it was crimson hexagon right. at the time still around yeah. And, yeah and and we would look at comparison data of different events so you'd sit there and say well what was the social engagement around multiple super bowls or multiple chick-fil-a bowls and you think you're going to get three final fours over the course of a 30 year so you know you look at the averages right I think the one thing that I grossly underestimated was the MLS success down right. there at the time. When you look at comps, yeah. you certainly weren't going to be like, I think they're going to get 66,000 people yeah. every week. You know, It's going to be the most attendance soccer game in the world during the World Cup is going to be in Atlanta. It was not a statement that I think I was prepared to All right, so as we, as we get into the next stage, yeah. were you start from that experience at Repicom, were you starting to have, were you kind of developing this idea based on your knowledge of the business as a former property digital executive? Yeah. And then kind of a measurement and metrics executive of what you might want to do that led to your new venture, which we'll get to in a second. Absolutely. And I okay. think the, the there's the traditional sports. And I think when we live right. in New York, we typically look at traditional sports. Right. What was great about Repucom is that as a global agency with as many offices, as many properties, is that Red Bull Media House was a client. Right. World Surf League was a client. GoPro was a client. So I created a dashboard for GoPro, GoPro to use to see what the value was of all of their athletes right. and to see who was producing what content. Okay, now and I'm getting the clue here. So you yeah. sit there and you say, okay, well, what's Red Bull doing versus what's GoPro doing? And Ken Block's creating unbelievable content and his value is gigantic. And of a thousand athletes, there's a precipitous drop. Right. Not too dissimilar when you look at guys like Sean White or Travis Pastrana who are outside the bounds of the normal sort of athlete in these types of sports okay. and in their marketability. Right. Right. But there's still a lot of value and there's still a lot of content. Right. Right. But it, that's where the gap started to come in. And then it was... Okay, so, you st- so so the, it sounds like the 
the germ of the idea started at RepuCon. Yeah. But just just fill in the, sure, the gap there after you left RepuCon, you did some other stuff, and then now we'll get to your. Yeah, absolutely. So I I had, you know, on the, on the story side is. I was having uh, dinner with my wife in Breckenridge after I moved to Colorado in, in 2016, and we were this talking. Is having about, left Repucom. Had, so I left yeah, Repucom right. in in uh, May of 2016, so three years ago, and we moved to Colorado. And that first winter in there, I was having dinner with my wife, and we were talking to our waiter, and he was like, "Yeah, you know," and he wasn't even being sort of that open about it. He just happened to be like, "Yeah, I'm a professional snowboarder," and at no point was I doing anything close to what you know I'm doing now. So I was like, oh, what's your name? So his name is like, oh, my name's Benji Farrow. So I'm like, okay. So I look, you know, Benji's name. I'm like, oh, this isn't just a, like, this guy was in the X Games like last year. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, here's this gap. Here's this issue with this sort of role of where you as an alternative sports athlete and snowboarder could be one of the best in the world. And maybe you don't have a, you know, the, the biggest social following, but you're still not making any money in events mm-hmm. and you're still having to find ways to, you know, from yeah, waiting through, tables. Yeah, right. right exactly. You're, you know, you're waiting tables. <laughs> you're, you know, trying to figure out ways to, to generate revenue. Your sponsors aren't paying a ton. Maybe you get a little bit of money to go to these events that help sort of get you through the door. But if you finish fifth, you make virtually nothing. So from that standpoint, there, there's a gap for all of these guys. And, and that's where sort of the, the idea started to really take its take its uh all right so that sounds like it added to your uh thought process yeah uh to get to um the the decision to actually do something about it yeah and and the funny thing is is that being in in colorado now and looking at the outdoor market it's massive and alternative sports as a whole are on the rise and information is is everywhere but and about the athletes and brands, gear, events, media, you name it. It's There's pieces and nuggets, but there's a 250 million plus consumer base of participants only of, you know, the 10 sports that we've identified. And those 10 sports, you know, are skiing, surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, climbing, mountain biking, BMX, motocross, ultra running, and kayaking. So we sort of looked at across the band of, of different sports, different audiences to see what we could do to sort of create a collective and take ultimately a lot of niche sports and make them non-niche in an environment that makes it easier for these 250 million participants that spend $50 billion a year in, in what they do to have a place to engage more, to really attract the non-endemic brands that don't take part in the, mm-hmm. in the sport now, because mm-hmm. that's where the challenge lies. Is you know, if I went out to North Face or Atomic Skis or you know, Jones Snowboard or, or any skateboard company, they're they're funneling money into the right. sport, but that's right. not paying events. It's not helping with the eyeballs as much right. on the event side. It's not giving people larger uh, prize money, and it's not driving the eyeballs to get you know, media companies to, to engage with it. Despite right. the fact that, you know, good news for the sports is, you know, Fox just picked up uh, World Surf League. So that's mm-hmm. going to be great for, for World Surf League and for surfing fans and, and frankly for us, as well as, you know, as it gets into the Olympic movement, you're able to then tap into a lot of those sports as well and provide a platform, not just, you know, for a couple of days every four years, but obviously there's enough of an interest for these sports, but whether it's climbing and skateboarding in Japan Surfing in Paris in, in four years, certainly skiing and snowboarding and the other winter sports in Beijing. The opportunity for us to capitalize on just the Olympic movement as a whole, but we've removed seasonality 
and fragmentation from right. the issue. And okay. that's the biggest hurdle. So you've referred to us several times in the last couple of minutes. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, and we need, I feel like we need a drum roll <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for what uh, Peter's new business is. Yeah. So, but, but just like lead up to the, just tell us the thought process of going from um, where you were as an industry veteran slash analyst yeah. to saying, we're going to do something about this. We're going to start a new business and then tell us what that business is. Sure. Of course. Yeah. But, so, but there's that moment where you have to take the idea and make it real. Yeah. I think you sort of look at the, the market and the landscape and you look at the opportunities of what you can build and how you can sort of look at your future. And you, and, and I really just said to myself, I'm like, this is, this is the best pathway and course for me to, to take ownership of something that, that I have a firm grasp of, that working in the valuation side of sports content production and the cross sort of dynamics provides a really unique perspective mm -hmm. on understanding this area of that business. Right. So I felt that I was in a, in a good spot to feel comfortable with what the issues were right. and how we could drive sort of awareness right. for it. So it was just a, a, a whimsical thought you had one day, like while you're skiing or something like that. No, my wife thinks it was whimsical. <laughs> okay. The day that I told her, right. she felt it was right. extremely whimsical. And then you decided all that <laughs> Repucon research and, you know, changed yeah. your mind. Yeah. And, and so, so that was that. And then, you know, you do the thing of like, oh, I've got it. I've got a, a business. Here's the idea. And then you're like, well, what am I going to call it? Well, yeah, but also you have a partner. So I have a partner. So you had to proposed this to the the individual at one point yeah correct so you sort of come up with uh what it is and you look at all of sort of the names of tied to the sports and how do you sort of make it work and right. how do you sort of have the the perfect answer to what it right. is and the answer is there isn't really a perfect right. answer but for us it was what resonated sort of emotionally to somebody when you tell the story of right. how we got the name deeds alone so right. deeds alone originates from uh the fourth armor division in World War II, and typically when World War in in our with armor divisions, you would ask what the nickname was of the armor division, and the commander at the time was asked, "What what's your nickname?" And they said, "Well, we're name enough. We shall be known by our deeds alone." So I was like, "Well, that sounds pretty good." I like I'm, look, that. I'm looking at independent athletes. Yeah, I'm looking at people who are sort of working on their own behalf. They're working for themselves. They're right. doing all these things. It's what can you do? From a, uh, a meritocracy, from, from from a meritocracy standpoint, and uh, the ultimate kicker for me on the sort of personal side is my grandfather was a captain in the Fourth Armored Division. Oh my God! Yeah. Wow. So wow. it's sort of all sort of hooked back in. I was that's, like, you know that's what? Great. So I was like, this is as good as any. Yeah. And unfortunately, from time to time, I can be a mumbler, and people will be like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about?" <laughs> Well, but, but also but you, deeds alone for those of you out deeds there. alone that's the, the end of the drum roll so <laughs> yeah. everybody uh, know that name now yeah. but I want to get back to the thought of um, what you were facing from a macro standpoint because mm -hmm. what we saw and you know someone who's as deeply tuned into the industry as you are you saw what was happening with Players Tribune yep. uninterrupted uh, the the YouTube creator universe that c continued to grow continues to grow yeah uh, and just kind of this empowerment of the long, the voices of the long tail users and participants and creators, that still uh, has become such an important force yeah. in the business. But that was happening around you. I assume that influenced some of your thinking to take this step. Absolutely, and we sort of looked at what's the model that we could sort of best generate the most interest in the most uh, one content. Mm -hmm. So, which is extremely important to have it 
Two, figuring out how to distribute it was is right. is more important, frankly. And what we've done is we sublicense in partnership with our athletes that we bring on. So we've gone out to athletes in all of these. Yeah, sports. so just start from the beginning yeah. on the actual so, the actual mechanics of purpose and mechanics of deeds alone. Yeah, absolutely. So what so what we do is we you know partner with athletes, and this is a platform that that they're building. Like mm-hmm. we are facilitating it, but right. this is really theirs, and. We've gone out to athletes in all of these sports and we say, hey, here's this opportunity. You can come on. We get, you know, this is a way for you to promote yourself. We give you your own profile page where most athletes today don't have, especially these, don't have their own website because it costs too much. Right. Nobody's just have going their social profile. They have their social profile. So they're not necessarily in a place where they're promoting the brands that they're going to be in, that the events that they're going to be uh, performing in. Or, you know, what are the social channels that they do have? What are the ups and downs of being right. on Instagram to right. Twitter to Facebook to where are you in the world that right. people are engaging with, you know, that particular right. prop platform? And each athlete gets their own sort of like, you know, deeds domain where it's, you know, deedsalone.com slash athlete. So mm-hmm. they can use it to promote, you know, themselves and as well as, you know, what gear they're using. Right. So it's not just about, hey, here's this athlete, here's my content. It's how are you engaging with these 250 million participants in the way that they want to engage in a sport, which is both as a fan, but also as a participant. Right. And for us, it's creating that pool of entry points from content to gear to events to podcasts to movies all throughout the industry that if you think of what IMDb is for movies is that you have a question about a movie, where do you go? IMDb. Everybody on the planet goes to IMDb. Right. But that doesn't exist in this fragmented That's market. That's a good point. Yeah. So for us, it's now you have this piece that says, okay, well, now there's an air, there, there's an element of discovery and engagement for athletes that you've never heard of, right? So, you know, do you know who, you know, Greg Lutzka is or Yernaj Kruder or Anna Davey? You're stumping me. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, were on, if you were on Cheers, it was three people who've never been in my kitchen. Right, right. Okay. For those of you right. that know the Cheers, for the yeah, Jeopardy right. Cheers reference right. fans out there. But ultimately, they're all champions. Then, you know, Ava Walkner, there's, we have to date and just, you know, under seven months signed up 250 ambassadors. Okay. And, and what, so you're, pro, to, to make this crystal clear, yep. you're providing the platform. Correct. And it's up to them to essentially populate and activate the platform. So they. So you're, you're ultimately, Deeds Alone is ultimately only as good as the level of participation from those athletes you've signed up. Not that's one section of it. So okay. that's one for them to promote it and obviously you think of like not just promote but to actually populate it. Well, words, there's one yeah. yeah. So there's a le- element of that when you think of uh, the ongoing content right. and there's a, n- a level of growth hacking of having all of that information. Right. So so in other words, so you're not you're not saying uh, hey, instead of spending time on Instagram, spend time with us. You're saying keep doing what you're doing, yeah. but channel some of that back or much of it back through this. Correct. Because okay. what we're able to do and part of the, our, our relationship with the athletes and our partnership is we sub-license their social content. Okay. So as they're going out all around the world, day in and day out, producing content that has a small shelf life, we're now able to take those highlights, use them, pair it with other you know, people in their sport, Paired with people in different sports. So I'm able to, to look at somebody who's a, a video of somebody who's snowboarding 
and pit it against somebody who is surfing and connect with different fans from different audiences right. in different countries. I'd really look to do a lot of the A-B testing on the content side to be able to help drive back my marketing okay. costs. And I think is, is anybody who's ever spent any time in content development is what's the best story you can tell for the cheapest amount of money, <laughs> right? Because right? Right. That's, that's the biggest hurdle, which is there's lots of people that spend a lot of time, you know, long form content or how many days or going out and traveling and getting video crews. And if you miss, it can be detrimental to your business. Right. And what right. we've done is we've taken a lot of the risk of some of our ability to drive and create content out of that out of that pool because right. we're how we're how we're getting it is 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 pretty cheap. And Peter, are you? I assume there's some sort of requirement for them, in turn, to promote deeds alone. They're incentivized in how sort of we partner with them to 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 drive that awareness. Right. So they're right. they're going to be athletes that. Do some do more than others, and right. they're all you know whether people watch their video or they drive people back to their page, and and that's how we've built out the model to essentially help drive the business as a whole. Right, but a key premise is that you're largely, or at least um, partly, yeah, uh, leveraging their small micro fan bases to add up to correct. To, 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 to add to the greater good. Absolutely, hundred percent. So yeah. there's definitely, and it, when you take a lot of these sort of micro communities, and you look at a, a property like you know the the PLL, and and Paul Rabel does an unbelievable job of marketing himself. Mm-hmm. We have more athletes with a greater reach, and my our our biggest athlete has more followers on Instagram than than Paul Rabel. Right. So you sit there and you say, wow, like this is a great initiative for sport. It's driven by somebody who's savvy in media. And, and understands the business side and, and, and a new model. But for us, it's really creating lots of small opportunities for us to drive as much awareness back to Deeds Alone and to these athletes every day without having Okay, so let's take us through a case sure. a case study, if you will, even though it doesn't really, it's not really happening quite yet, but yeah. I'm sure you were thinking about this. Take one of the really popular athletes, yep. and in an ideal world, in the best possible scenario of this new relationship you're establishing, what do you want them doing for you and with you, around you, every day? Absolutely. So every day they are, you know, one being able to promote their their the domain is a place that they can go and a home for them to sort of promote themselves. There's also the ability for them to promote. So the, I'm sorry, I don't want to get too. Sure, uh, sure geeky about the, the the digital side but there'll be a cms yeah. to, for them to engage with content uploading and things like that no or? we take the content from them so, okay, so they're literally just they, we, you're we taking like kind of raw feeds correct we have yeah. de-risked and de-efforted okay. their stuff good. because most of the athletes and if anybody who's worked with athletes right. understands is getting them and asking them to do things is <laughs> not the not right. a, not a great way to right. build your business so that's why we've taken a lot of those hurdles right. out of the way so we then create content. We can create highlights. And then for us, we're then able to, one, create new highlights. We post it. We tag them. We then use that promotion from the athlete to say, hey, check, check out my new highlight on Deeds Alone. Okay. So an example could be one of, and let's name you. Who is the most popular one you just said? Well, there's a Brandon Beeble is a skateboarder. Okay. Who's, let's take him. Okay. So he uh, let's he's active on Instagram, I assume? Correct. So he wakes up tomorrow, or when you guys are ready yeah. uh, for prime time, and he does an Instagram story. Yep. Are you getting that automatically through some sort of 
feed or some not yet so we have the way that we've contracted is is how we work with the social channels and with the athletes is we'll be you know, have the ability to pull in that data pull in the data okay pull in pull in by data okay. the content so you're going to need people or maybe you yeah. <laughs> yourself to actually then kind of manually curate yeah so what we've done is we've gone in and we looked at a lot of the content and the posts and the stories that come in and and, and find the ones that do make the most sense okay. to sort of assign and attribute. And for us, you know, at launch, we'll have, you know, over 75 different highlights and videos already queued up and ready to go. Nice. So okay. for us, it's a lot about, listen, not every video is going to be created equal. And our ability to say, what's the numbers game that makes the most sense allows us to, to get to as many touch points as possible. And as I mentioned before, there's, there's something in being very global, but there's also a very, very important piece in being very local as you go about it. So right. we're able to target, you know, enthusiasts of skiers in Jackson Hole that have their athletes from their community, but also surfers from Brazil or climbers from Australia. <coughs> and that's where we're able to become very, very sort of targeted in our approach right. without feeling like everybody has to care about everything. Right. So to break it down, you've got the content component, which is kind of um, somewhat self-explanatory. They're going to be producing content, user-generated content, yep. athlete-generated content. And then you will have a commerce component, right, based on the type, the, the gear and any commerce that they're actually either promoting or engaging in. Is that so we're correct? building that out. And for us, it was a, an important way when looking at it that we weren't tied to just being a social platform. Right is that what are the, the tentacles and the entry points that people would care about and where can we sort of grow our business and find revenue streams? So obviously promoting gear is a big one. And when we have and we're, we'll be implementing our affiliate program once we sort of have a more critical mass of, of users. That it didn't really make sense for us to spend all of this time and energy building out an affiliate program as we're trying to get to this point in our business if we weren't necessarily going to be able to convert on the revenue side of that. Right, of course. So, And then corollary to that in terms of monetization potential, mm -hmm. are you going to help facilitate opportunities with sponsors? Well, the opportunities with sponsors really come as, as a collective. One okay. on the sort of sponsorship of the platform. So if you're a you know, sponsor, sponsor of the skiing section and skiing content or the presenting sponsor of Deeds Alone, that go all that goes into uh, sort of the athlete pool, but also at the same time because of our influence, is we have a natural influencer network that we're able right. to set up. So if you're looking to target uh, Canadian consumers, then we can target that market. If you want global consumers in a particular right. sport and skiing, well then we have you know the skiers to be able to tackle and, and provide the level of depth. Is it fair to say that the the influencer marketing component would be ultimately the most valuable? aspect of this certainly yeah from certainly okay. yeah i mean yeah. for for us it's it's listen the hardest part of, of working with these athletes and these events is that they're extremely fragmented right so to sit there and say well i'm going to find the right number of athletes to go out figure out who they are contract with them get them to all be in the same place at the same time to do the types of content and and marketing that i'm looking for them to do right is a challenge right. and if you look at somebody like world surf league it's great, but one week you're in Tahiti, and the next week you're in right. Australia, and then you're in Hawaii. And if you're a sponsor of those events and looking to activate or tie yourself into the athlete, it's not it's not the easiest. So there could the be an element of open doors. Yeah, for example, 
And I don't mean that yeah. like as a platform sure, per sure, se, sure. but the idea of finding underserved athletes who could be leveraged by different brands in a new way. Absolutely. And I think okay. for us, one of the, the opportunities for us to, is, is we look at from a revenue side, is really on the market research side, is what is the consumer looking to do? How are they engaging with content? What does that mean to engaging with an athlete? How do they look at content? What does that mean for events? Where are they coming from? What's the user path that we can right. then help tell a story for the outdoor space? But then it also provides value back to you know, sponsors or brands looking to, to, to work with these athletes. Right. So just um, complete the circle of monetization. Like what yep. else? Did we miss anything? No, so, I mean, for so us, it's sponsorship, the marketing, influencer, yeah. the market research, and then obviously with the types of the content commerce. that we had, yeah. there's the commerce down the line, and then certainly, you know, the ads on social platforms just from driving traffic through those, right. and, and, and that is a small pool of what we've looked okay. at as well. So as you sit there and say, how can we drive people back? We're creating hundreds of videos over the course of the year that allows us to then create a sort of large swath of opportunities that we can then A-B test and associate the best ways for us to maximize our, our content development. Based on what you've learned from the corporate digital sports job at USTA mm-hmm. and the obviously the um, different kind of experience you had at RepuCom and your analysis of what's happening in related areas of athlete-generated content, um, what are you most concerned about like what are, what are the what are the things that keep you up at night about how building this out um i mean listen there's a lot of other than the general idea of being yeah. an entrepreneur not yeah if it's no, i was work. gonna say i mean do you want it to do it chronologically or alphabetically <laughs> yeah, exactly um, how much time do we have yeah exactly um i think looking at the 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 market and sort of the fluctuations of where content distribution and consumption mm-hmm. comes from right. is always the big question which is if you were to sit there and say here's facebook they asked brands to come on board and then turned into being like now that you've put all your fan your consumers here we're now going to change that model right and being able to pivot based on you know where the consumer is how that right that, being nimble that, that, yeah. and, and that's where for us search is imperative right. so when you if you're looking for movies in the outdoor space and the imdb piece which right. is now all of a sudden we then start to to you know, be a, a major player on the search side, not just the social and the content right, side. Right. And that's how we're trying to sort of combat and give ourselves the opportunity to to know where we can find this content place. Right. And, you know, I think that's you know, the, the biggest piece of just banking no system. Okay, so tell us what's behind the curtain other than you and your partner. Mention your partner's name. Uh, yeah, it's Andrew Lockman, and he's, okay. uh, you know, great and super bright and has been really on the, you know, forefront of getting our ambassadors and athletes on what's his background again so he comes from the uh the the tech industry and really understands the the sales side and the in the uh development side of 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 that side so for us that's what's been it's great it's here's somebody who's looking at you know what's our story how are we getting it out there and you know how are we selling it to to these athletes and and speaking of uh, how we get it out there uh talk about your funding interests or funding situation so for us, you know, we're, we, we've been bootstrapping for a while and just started sort of our initial sort of seed angel round as, as these things tend to go. And that's, that's where we are. So ultimately, we could so continue. raising to, seed right now? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So for us, it's, it's, it's uh, an exciting time because there's the opportunity to inject 
money back into the sort of that flywheel of approach of this is how we're sort of using all of the tenants to connect right. these right. people and and you know that's that's our our path and then and then continuing to launch and build it out wow good for you for doing it yeah no it's been it's been exciting and i think for for you know as we've talked about sort of the shift from yeah so I, the, that's actually my last question before yeah. we do our wrap up uh, so the last question is, uh, I, I think you started to go there. So you were a, let's just take the USTA yep. um, experience, which uh, represents the corporate kind of experience in sports sure. or media. Um, Repucom, obviously, slightly different, but still a very large company, <clears throat> powerful company. You are a bona fide entrepreneur now. Yeah. Bootstrapping, hustling. Tell us about what that's like, and tell us about the difference between that and a corporate, the corporate life you once had. The the difference is, is that there's a level of stress and strain in anything that you do, and I think that when you look at wherever you are, feels semi stressful most of the time. Right. You know, and whether it's the U.S. Open's coming, and you know, here's what we need to do, and you have a to do list of. 95 things 90 of them are from sponsors who are all paying you to do something and the site's got to go live and all of these things are going on and at the time that is the most horrible thing in the world and then you're at repucom and the same thing happens is you have 75 different you know clients and everybody's asking for the same thing and you're somebody's looking to prioritize it and you're like I don't know. Got a dart? Like pick it. Like you know, and you're and you're creating a space based on what that value is. And you know, you're on phone calls with India at five thirty in the morning, and you're on phone calls with California at ten o'clock at night. Right. So, you know, the, yeah, getting into the poison. yeah, getting into you know, and then you're commuting, you know, on an I ninety five from uh, you know up to Stanford, and yeah. so that's no gem either. Yeah. And uh, it's uh Grass is always greener. Yeah. So you sit there and you say, okay, well, what's the opportunity look like? And the entrepreneurial space is, is challenging and you work really, really hard. Yeah. And my wife mercifully sleeps really, really well because <laughs> I don't. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I sort of just... From being stressed or just from working, literally working too much? It's it's a little bit of everything. I mean, okay. it's sort of, it's, it's, you don't turn off. Yeah. I think that's that's the the biggest thing about it, which is there's no there's no days off. It never is. Yeah, there's also like as someone who's been through it myself. Yeah. I mean, there's that realization, which is a cold realization, that there's no backstop. That yeah. It's it's on you. Yeah. No or doubt. Or you and your partner. Correct. And, and I think if you if you decide not to hustle for half a day, you pay the price. That's it. That's if it. If you decide to not act aggressively for a week. It sets you back. I mean, there's no. Whereas, let's face it, when you're working for a co- larger company, yeah. notwithstanding the pressure of a two-week 100%. event, that's world, you know, global event, that's 100%. a huge thing in digital media. The reality is, there are certain days that are a lot easier than others. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I mean, you can and, find and yourself on, and with with your own thing. It, there, it's not really true. Now, you can, I think, play tricks on your imagination and say certain days perhaps might be more relaxing than others. But the reality is, there's just this never-ending pressure to push, push, push. Correct. Which is really different than most corporate jobs. Yeah, and I think that it helps to be in Colorado. Is that... Psychologically? 100%. Yeah. Is that being able to, you know, at least from a... You know, being able to go, be outside more, being sort of in space, not having sort of the the commuting issues that one would have. So 
you could ask most people that have these other jobs, which is, well, what do you do? And I, you know, I have friends here. Well, I, I get up in the morning and, you know, I'm up before my kids potentially, and I'm running out the door to catch a train or I'm in the car. Then I spend nine hours to 10 hours at work. And then I spend an hour, an hour and a half in the train or car and right. I get home. And maybe if I'm lucky, I see my kid for three right. minutes and then I'm back on checking emails and doing yeah. stuff. Anyway. Welcome to the business. Well, that's my point, right? So <laughs> it's sort of like for me to be yeah. as an entrepreneur, like I, I was already I working a you know pretty long day anyway. So I get up really, really early, yeah, like really early every day. And that sort of just helps me sort of get my day started. So that way right. when the day unravels, I feel like I've gotten a pretty good swing at the, you know what's been going on before it even starts. And you feel like you're cut out for it. Yeah, I think there's a level of, you know, you, you try to build a dream, you try to sort of make it work, you try to sort of find that level and, and the right people to work with and the right. right sort of story. Yeah. And I think that's, it's it's easy when you feel like you're in the right sort of position to, to help people. Right. And for these athletes, there's a level of like, listen, there's there's a gap and it's not just about me and building a tech product it's me and 250 athletes that you know without having you know gone live or like this is it we believe in you and what you've done and i think that that is very motivating you know it's a good point there's a level of purpose yeah that that's a little bit more real than you might see in a, a, a typical corporate environment yeah. uh and that can be motivating i think for many of us yeah absolutely so absolutely thing. i think it's i mean listen you know if certain client gets their valuation numbers and you're like, okay, is that as rewarding is somebody else being like, Oh, I'm helping somebody like try to achieve their dream and compete. And, you know, we have athletes that range from, you know, teenagers to in their fifties that are, you know, big wave surfing legends. And, right. you know, one guy just ran 10 marathons in 10 days on, you know, it's a world record and seven, you know, one was, Amazing. Part of it, you know, there's just different challenges and different stories and lieutenant colonels and, you know, that yeah. were retired and doing their thing now. And there's stories and it's not just about the athlete and the ultimate achievement of the Olympics. Right. But the the nature of identifying and associating to the, the personalities of all of these people, which when you start to pull them together, there's a little bit of something for everybody. Yeah. And that's that's what's really nice. And if you're looking to figure out great vegan meals, sure. Fantastic. Right. You want to you want to see the cutest dogs in the world running up and down trails? You got it. Right. So we are able to sort of look at, you know, the things that people sort of hang on to every day as as enthusiasts. Right. And and try, and try to cultivate that. It seems like your psychology background has served you well. So the counseling experience you talked about before, I'm sure helps vis-a-vis -vis the mentorship and development of the athletes and also as you're just, as you're talking about some of the challenges the athletes are facing, I'm thinking about how there are many aspects of being um, a competitive but underappreciated athlete yeah. with being an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I never fair. really thought about I that. I hadn't before, thought about it either. But, but you're yeah. kind of toiling away in obscurity yep. in the hope that you'll quote make it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no and, doubt. and hope springs eternal, but it is a grind day to day, and it seems to me that a really big part of it is psychological which you could speak to better than I because because on 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 you know in terms of physical physical expertise physical yeah. uh, skill uh, obviously they're all within a margin of uh, difference yeah. all these people at the high end absolutely but you always wonder like well, why is that tennis player better than that tennis player like why does Federer and Djokovic 
at all, why, why have they been so dominant for so long, yeah. when their physical skills are probably comparable to many hundreds of other players. Yeah. But it seems like it's very heavily psychological. It's, it, it is, and I, I will say that the the my degree in my past has been best served on myself during <laughs> okay. this process, well, which is, I mean, I think you have to look at yourself a lot. Most people can't say that about their educational no. programs. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for where you are and what you're trying to do and how you can sort of position yourself mentally and, you know, to, to sort of see the playing field differently, Yeah. which is as you get older and <clears throat> as you sort of think about the things and your roles and responsibilities, which is, you know, I've had, different roles where my job was to to be the guy who runs through the wall like right. you want me as number two because i'll have the conversations that you don't want to have so i have that experience that's but a also, good point yeah too but well, also, i think people that were in the in what i'd call the disruptive jobs of yeah. the industry which i was too you know my, my background yeah. is you always had to be pushing 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 it wasn't good enough to say hey, like, you know we're good for the next year i'm not going to really do much different totally uh next year compared to this year it was actually the contrary i think those of us and you and i had similar experiences uh there was always pressure for the what's next and how are we going to do more how are we going to do different how are we going to do better what's new uh and i think when you're working for these bigger places where there's a little bit of a pr battle around all that too absolutely there's even more pressure and listen for all of the greatness of the u.s open the usda is still you know not for profit. Well, that, that that's the interesting and, thing, and, and it's juxtaposed so, against a conservative correct uh, environment politically, in a world, an aspect of the world that doesn't really like politics too much, which is the meritocracy of technology and digital media, uh, yep. uh, where uh, no no political institutions need apply necessarily uh, abs- if you want to make progress. Absolutely, I think there's there's definitely a level of, you know. We didn't. We nobody gave us money to build things. Right. We wanted the apps. We had to go figure out how to exactly. to, to generate that revenue. We yeah. wanted to do live streaming. Right. We wanted to do that, and that's how you know you you end up being able to sort of figure out ways to build things yeah. and to do it sort of cheaply and effectively and not sort of find yeah. dumb dollars down the road. And and when you look back to say, well, how did the digital business do? Well, it, you know, it made millions of dollars in a in a time when people weren't making any. Right. And I traveled the world for Repucom having conversations and looking around the room between the dynamics of salespeople and digital people going, yes, yes, I get it. Yeah, we don't have enough resources to do what they want us to do. And you're like, oh, well, well I sold yeah. it for this, but the margins are awful. Right. And the digital team isn't growing any because you can't justify the revenue that's coming in. Oh, now. my God. I've been in so this it's, it's this. A, yeah. Right. Every, right. It is... No matter where you are in any story, if you're getting into this 100%. business, that is the one debate yeah. is the sales guy wants to sell it for as little as humanly possible. And the digital guy who's telling you that, who's the audience? What are you trying to right. do? What are we, you know, like all the ethereal right. questions that the sales guy does not care about. Right. Now you're able to sort of bring those things back to be like, this is how you grow your business. Yeah. This is how I can help you make more money. Right. This is how in a world that's changing you're able to maintain a, a sales and sponsorship job because these are the things that are in a comprehensive wow. approach. Wow, that's really interesting. So uh, good luck with Deeds Alone. Thank it's really you. quite exciting. Where can people check it out Yeah, now? no, it's, uh, it's early stage. But. Yeah, no, we're, we'll, be, we'll be live. So you can check us out at uh, deedsalone.com. Uh, all the social channels are uh, Deeds you Alone. You have that handle? Yeah. yeah. Good. So okay. whether it's... You know, Instagram's our main one now because all of our athletes and stuff right. are on Instagram. So, mm-hmm. you know, Instagram... Facebook, where we do, you know, some sort of cursory posting as well. Right. 
Twitter is not one of the ones that we spend a ton of time on, but you know we're getting not engaged. Probably not in. necessary to spend too much yet. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, but then obviously looking at you know our target audience and being able to find us on. By the way, just really quickly because I didn't sure. I didn't explicitly ask this question, but the target audience typically would be. Young millennials and Gen Z, I assume. No, then the target audience is the participants in each sport. So we're right. able to break our so business 20s down. So twenties and thirties. Yeah, so you sit okay. there, you can look at the twenties and thirties. Getting somebody to be a Gen Z, you know, and a teenager is really, really hard and yeah. really, really costly. Yeah. But if we're able to provide some of it on the video side, so if you think of a family four that goes skiing, you may have you know the young kid that's looking at our highlights and people yeah. bombing down stuff and cursory engagement from the father and a daughter and. You know, without stereotyping, maybe it's the mother who's looking at some of our female skiers, yeah, but also looking yeah. also looking at the content uh, of what's the gear and what are the the, the the nice ski pants or helmet that these guys are wearing. Right. So there's a level of being for us being able to be targeted in how we go go approach it. Nice. So all right. So two yes. our two final standard standard questions sure. for all guests. Yeah. You've been duly warned. Yep. Um, how do you, how do you keep up with everything? How do you stay smart? Yeah. I mean, for me, the interesting pieces in, in a new market is, is I tend to read and look at a lot of newsletters, almost like a feed, mm-hmm. which is whether it's, you know, on the sports side, it's synopsis, sports bro, sports techie, mm-hmm. uh, on, you know, the outdoor industry side, there's a snooze, which is S news and the outdoor retailer. And then on the sort of consumer tech design side you can read things like you know strategy or strategy excuse me always strategy yeah yeah thank you (laughs) strategy and work on that one off in the the cut and uh e-marketer is another great one Mm -hmm. uh 2 p.m is or other great really uh newsletters that allow you to sort of look at the market outside of sports Mm -hmm. and for us that's and for me personally that's a big piece of not sort of being sort of in the sports sort of cocoon if you will and, and looking outside of that and I also am a big listener, so I listen to a lot of podcasts Which one? and a lot of name, books. Name a few faves. So um, the podcast side is Tim Ferriss is always a good one. Yeah. Uh, the The Cusp Show has been great to me. <laughs> oh, no. um, but uh, yeah. the other piece is uh, Rich Roll is is um, an ultra runner and an athlete who does great work. Some of the outdoor podcasts, right. like Outdoor Retailer, creates yeah. some nice podcasts. Um, and then on the audiobook side, just try to listen to a lot of uh, different different books on anything, nice. both on the personal side as well as the business side, yeah, yeah. And, and you know try to spend out if you're in the car, which is something you know you can be in or walking. What about around. Twitter? Twitter, I don't spend a ton of time on because okay. I'm always a little. I use social as sort of a search for the information that I find in other sort of newsletters, mm-hmm. only in part because I'm always a little leery of the information that I'm consuming and where my heart is. Versus the information that I'm seeing and what I need to know. All right. That's fair. <laughs> okay. And the last question is yeah. um, about careers. Sure. You've, um, you've had some really interesting experiences. You've managed, you've hired and managed people. You're probably about to hire a bunch more people. Can you give some career advice, uh, particularly to younger people listening? Yeah, absolutely. Is, is one, 100% leave your ego at the door. One, you, you are most likely not going to be somebody who is hired by one of the brands that you follow. But there's a billion opportunities to be in sports in, a, in, in tons of ways. And whether you find yourself to be more on the creative side, on the design side, as a writer, as you know, on, on, you know, as an editor, 
but also on the analytics side. If you're somebody who loves analytics but loves sports, guess what? You you can find oh, great opportunities. You can find great opportunities. Types, yeah. And people will take, you know, do it for free. If you really want to do it, don't be so, you know, beholden to how much you think you're worth. Yeah. And that ultimately, if you can open the door and get your foot in the door you and do your job, you'll be able to stay and then build a career out of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, some level worked for me in lots of ways. And, you know, it's, it's a model that I think, you know, a lot of people don't do because mm -hmm. it's hard to say that I'm going to find time over the course of a month to, mm -hmm. to do something for free. Mm -hmm. But that, that's my general recommendation. All right. Well, well said. Thank you. Well, thank you, Peter. Awesome. You know, really it's, been, appreciate it's been great to be here. So, guys, we've been talking to a new entrepreneur, former corporate guy, yeah. Peter Dopkin, who has co-founded and is in the process of launching Deeds Alone. I encourage everybody to check it out for two reasons. Number one, to support Peter and his partner. Thank you. Um, and number two, to support all these athletes who are out there fighting the good fight, trying to develop themselves and their brands. Um they need the attention, um, and I like these platforms that are really helping them find opportunities to sustain themselves and, and hopefully grow. So uh, as I said before, there's kind of a nice underlying intentionality and purpose with this that is good to hear. Yeah, no, it's great. So yeah, people, for anybody hopefully that... everybody can support it. So you named 10 sports, right? Or was it how 10. Many? You named 10. 10. So everybody listening... You probably like one or two of those Absolutely. at least. <laughs> so Absolutely. Find some of them and check it out. So deedsalone.com and Deeds Alone handle primarily Instagram, Facebook, uh, maybe more to come. Correct. When is the official launch? Uh, May. May. This, May. this, this is May. It is May. It's coming. Okay. <laughs> really? It's coming around tomorrow? the corner. Yeah, no, okay. I wish it was tomorrow, but All you right. know, it's... Uh, we're, you you we're get a little it. publicity, hopefully, beyond this podcast. That's that's our hope and goal. So, okay. I mean, luckily, the the athletes are always a good way to go. I was going to say you should have no problem doing that. So it's a, you know for us it's it's very organic, and then ultimately finding other. Channels. All right, so everybody check out uh, Deeds Alone, and then look for the official announcement and PR around it yeah. uh, sometime between now and the end of May. Yep. Uh, but congratulations on doing that. I, I'm a big fan of entrepreneurs, and I really admire uh, the I, I admire what you're doing, and, and I really like the idea. Well, that's great. Listen, it's been it's been great to be here, and I appreciate the time. Okay. So thanks everybody for listening. This has been the Cusp Show. We'll welcome Joe Favorito back next for the next episode. But thank you, Royce, for another good Definitely. conversation. You, appreciate it. Uh, and Peter, we'll see you soon. Maybe you'll come back in a year to tell us how you've been acquired by. Google or Amazon or something like that? That would be quite a story. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening.